You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. engaging conversation around the business of insurance and receiving the inaugural Fred Rice Lifetime Achievement Award. Trailblazer Jill Husbands joins me in this conversation to share her leadership philosophies, passion for diversity, and to inspire those who are coming up through the ranks. She inspires young professionals seeking an insurance sector career, and she suggests you consider going beyond the big name insurers and reinsurers. Check out opportunities in what she dubs as the quiet industry. That's captive insurance. This was pioneered in Bermuda by the late Fred Rice. With hundreds of captives, the Bermuda captive insurance market continues to be of global significance. Jill's career encourages women leaders to believe in their opportunities and potential for success. We'll touch on Jill's career from Lloyd's of London and into the Bermuda markets. Jill? is an associate of the Chartered Insurance Institute of the United Kingdom. She said that gaining qualifications helped her to be taken seriously in an industry that at that time was dominated by men. Jill was in Lloyd's of London as its first female broker in 1973. The UK Chartered Insurance Institute and the US Chartered Property Casualty Underwriters courses were supported on the island by the Bermuda Insurance Institute. Later, it became an on-site testing facility for the Insurance Institute of America and the CPCU. The Bermuda Insurance Diploma enabled students to choose either the UK or the US Chartered Property Casualty Underwriter or CPCU as a route to their professional designation. The Bermuda Insurance Diploma was formed by 12 leading insurers. These leaders envisioned future growth in the Bermuda market and recognized there was a need for a well-qualified workforce. So they positioned the Bermuda Insurance Diploma for the evolving and expanding sectors. Executives from insurers and reinsurers encouraged people to learn more about and get involved in the Bermuda market, encouraged into careers in insurance and opportunities to study locally. Thanks to the dedication of the Bermuda Insurance Institute volunteers, teachers, and staff, there is a 50-year legacy as a center of excellence. And to continue to evolve, the Bermuda Insurance Institute has merged operations with the Bermuda College with a vision of consolidating the current offerings of both institutions and creating a future state-of-the-art reinsurance tertiary education facility on Ireland. The Bermuda College currently has more than 33 articulation agreements with various four-year institutions. Graduates can transfer with advanced standing to complete their undergraduate degrees. Agreements specific to insurance, reinsurance, and actuarial science include programs offered by Eastern Kentucky University, Georgia State University, St. Francis Xavier, St. John's University, and Temple University. The Bermuda Insurance Institute seminars, workshops, and conferences, as far as possible, will be included on a consolidated platform that provides optimal access and support for local education and reinsurance and the supporting professions. 
further information and links will be in the show notes. So let's go to the conversation with Jill and learn more about past history and how it may affect your future potential and opportunities. I got a job. It was part of a much larger group, but a small part of a much larger insurance venture. And I've never had a female in the team before. And basically, they really wanted somebody to sort of just help out, to just do a spreadsheet here or sort something out. It wasn't a particular role. And I guess just from the very first day, I absolutely loved it. I loved the whole feel of the place. I loved what I was doing. It was interesting. Back then it was in aviation insurance. I mean, now, gosh, this really ages me. I was working in a building that I call Old Lloyd's because it's not the current Lloyd's or the Lloyd's before that, but the one before that. That's how old a building it was. We had a little underwriting room in old, old Lloyd's. And I was very, very fortunate enough to work for a gentleman, a true gentleman. His name was Reg Mills. And I get a bit emotional when I think about him. He was so supportive and so encouraging that it just made everything so much easier, really. And once I had sort of put my mind to this was what I wanted to do, because I wanted people to take me seriously as a woman, I straight away signed up to do the ACII exams and got those out of the way very quickly and and went from there, really. I loved being in the London market. It's a very collaborative market, which suited my personality. All the different underwriting groups would discuss a certain risk together and the market would come up with a solution and things like that. So it was a wonderful place to learn. And frankly, I was given a lot of opportunities. When I started, I wasn't actually allowed to go into Lloyd's itself because I was a woman. I mean, I could go in and visit, but I couldn't actually do any work in there. But that changed pretty quickly thereafter. And the small sort of underwriting group that I was with was part of Willis Faber and Dumar, as it was in those days. And so as soon as Lloyd's opened up to women, they got me a ticket and we went from there. So that's sort of how I fell into insurance. There was no plan. There was no degree in insurance. How did it come to Bermuda? How did that come about? Okay, well, I guess that was another funny story, really. I took a year off from work in London and traveled. So I backpacked around the world. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. On that trip, I met an Australian girl who had actually come to Bermuda. She was a nurse. So she had come to Bermuda to work. And she said, and we were really good friends. So she said, oh, why don't you come for a holiday? So I said, oh, yes, that would be fantastic. I'll come for a holiday. So I came to Bermuda on vacation, had two wonderful weeks here, went back to London. That was the end of that. And then by this stage, I'd actually moved from underwriting to broking. I was a reinsurance broker by then. So I was sitting at my desk in 10 Trinity Square which is an iconic building in London. And that's where Willis Faber were, again, in those days. And the phone rang. And I guess one of the things is being a female in the market, especially in the aviation market back in those days, there were so few of us that, you know, a lot of the guys teased us. I mean, it was all sort of good fun, really. So this gentleman was at the other end of the telephone and said, oh, hello, Jill. And I'm thinking, gosh, I don't recognize this voice. 
but I didn't really want to say anything. I wanted to try and see if I could figure out who it was. And they said, would you be interested in a job in Bermuda? And I thought, oh, okay, this is just a big joke. They know I've just come back from two weeks vacation. So I played along and I said, oh, yes, yes, I'm interested. That would be fun. And they said, oh, well, can you come to an interview? Uh, Blah, blah. So I said, absolutely sure. Because I thought, okay, I'm going to get my own back on you because I know this is just a joke, right? But of course, when I got there, it wasn't a joke. It was a real interview. So I started off by explaining that I thought it was a joke, which I'm sure the person doing the interviewing must have thought was a bit odd. But anyway, at the end of the day, they offered me the job and I decided to take it for two years. And partly because I was fairly ambitious And more than that, I really wanted to be taken seriously. And this was a promotion for me coming to Bermuda. And so I thought it would be good experience. I came over to Bermuda still as an aviation underwriter in the aviation market for an insurer. I joined Johnson & Higgins, then turned into Marsh after Marsh bought J&H. So from when I started at J&H until I retired, I was with the organization an extremely long time. <laughs> but again, I enjoyed it. And that was when I entered the captive insurance industry. So that was late in 1983, very late in the year, just after my son's first birthday. So I joined as what was called an insurance officer, which really was the person that designs and organizes the insurance programs that clients put into their captives. And I did that for several years. And then I became manager of that department. And then I moved on to the sales side, which I must say I really enjoyed as well. And also, this was actually one of the most, and I give Brian Hall and Roger Gillett credit for this because they gave me this time. We have been talking about trying to put a particular product together, a new product that hadn't sort of existed before. And I kept talking about it because I believed in it. So they said, okay, take a year and see if you can actually get this up and running. So that was a bit of a risk because I didn't know what I would be doing at the end of the year if I didn't get it up and running. And I worked very closely with a gentleman who's to this day a very good friend. Glenn Weber, he was in our New York office. And Glenn and I worked for a year putting Green Island together. And uh, a lot of the tech, sort of the US technical knowledge came from Glenn. And I sort of supported him and helped sort of on the sales side. It's really just where people share risk with each other. That's sort of the easiest way to describe it. It's based on the law of large numbers. Huge insurance companies have large balance sheets. And so they're able to sustain the ups and downs of the small individual risks. Well, many large Fortune 500 companies have very large deductibles. They have to have large deductibles. They're imposed on them. But those deductibles can still create a significant amount of fluctuation from year to year in loss. And companies don't want that. They want predictability. They don't want fluctuation for a very obvious reason. So Green Island brought stability to those low-end deductibles that the Fortune 5000 companies have. And so we went from there. I had two more sons along the way. The years sort of just went whizzing past, I have to say that. And eventually I became the head of the Bermuda office of Marsh Captive Management. And then I became the chairman 
of Marsh, McLennan Companies in Bermuda just before I retired. Just before you go on, can you explain what a captive is and why it's so important in the market? Captive is an insurance company that's owned by a corporation. So owned by an airline, owned by a retail chain, whatever the corporation does, a steel manufacturer, car manufacturer. And it's principally to ensure their deductibles. And also when there's a hard insurance market, when there's lacking in capacity, So, for instance, you know, like in 1985, 1986, when ACE and XL formed, they were all formed because of lack of capacity in the traditional market. And so companies use, certainly back then when there was a huge lack of capacity, used their captives to fill some of those holes so that they did actually have funding for those losses as and when they had. And also captives can be much the same as the captive you worked for. They can also be groups of people in the same industry who come together because there's a particular need. There's a particular shortage of capacity in whatever industry they're in, and they all come get together and insure each other, again, so that there's stability for the individual companies. They were actually just big captives when they formed. Yes. So, as I'm sure you know, Marsh was very involved in the creation of both ACE and Excel. So they were just huge group captives. You know, to be able to buy insurance, you had to be an insured in the early days. You had to be a shareholder. But anyway, we've obviously gone a long way from those days. And Absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm just going to pop one little fact in here because we're talking about the 1980s. And the Bermuda Monetary Authority, the regulator, in February 2021, released that as of December, there was approximately $40 billion in the Bermuda captive insurance market. That's significant because those are global companies, right? And Bermuda has 680 captives. So that's huge growth in, what, 30 years, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, probably the numbers of captives may have come down. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But because there have been a lot of mergers and acquisitions over the years of various companies, and I think the numbers of captives have probably come down. But I think the size of those captives and the capacity that they have on their balance sheet has definitely grown significantly. Yes, that's absolutely true. So the current status is there are 680 and 40 billion, I would imagine that's US dollars. There was massive in the 90s and things like that. So back to your story. Well, that's it really. I think it was a journey. I've always believed that when you get to a certain point or a certain position, I felt it was my job to ensure that I have people behind me who could take over and also that I could would step away so that they could still enjoy the career that I had enjoyed. So I was very lucky in, in that regard as well. I had a great team behind me, a wonderful team. And so I just decided one morning, I just woke up and said, okay, now's the time to retire. And I called New York on that same day and told them I'd made the decision. We put a plan in place. The plan was actually 15 months in length, but it was a great plan. It was good for me, good for them. And uh, then almost four years ago, I retired. And you move on to the next part of your life. I want to just pause and recognize that you were the inaugural Fred Rice Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016. 
I mean, that's the very first. And as a woman, you stepped up for all of us in showing us what a career journey could look like if you're courageous and stepping into it. And I know you've been a conscious steward of this space. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for that. I was shocked that I was the first recipient. Very proud, though. It was a very humbling and proud moment for me to have my peers, who were mostly men, recognize me and give that to me. Like a pinnacle, really, of my career because I have made the decision. But I have made the decision to retire. And Marsh, New York, and I put this plan into place. But it hadn't been announced that I was going to retire. But it was a wonderful thing and still is a wonderful thing. I just want to end also by saying There's still a lot of work to be done in our industry, not just for women, but for all minorities. I do see that there have definitely been huge strides, especially for women. But I think that there is more work that the industry needs to do for minorities. And I'm hoping very much that we see that in the years to come. Absolutely. Diversity and inclusion and more voices, more choices. Jill, I really appreciate your presence in the world and your generosity of spirit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections.